Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Who said that? Who the f said that? There's a Tommy ass! Phone's for you. I think it's the devil. Who are these fing guys? There's a Tommy ass! We'll go to the moon event together. It's a lot of nonsense. A little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest man. Yo, welcome back to another episode of the Total BS Podcast. Justin, what's going on, my man? How's it going? Uh, part three and four of the Last Dance documentary already in. I'm yeah, man. Yeah. I think this one was better uh, than last week. I got goosebumps. <laughs> you also got, I got goosebumps. To, you also got something to your chest. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to clear my throat for a second. <laughs> you know, hey, you can't cough. You can't cough around your people nowadays, man. You, know, I know. you never know what people are gonna think. If you cough in public, people like give you the side. I'm like, I'm just clearing my throat. I'm just sneezing. And like people are like, people don't even say bless you anymore in public. <laughs> you know, they just like, man, get that's, away from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what that society is nowadays. But uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for our second episode of the Total BS podcast, my man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Freddie Coleman going to join us later on in the show and talk about that, that same documentary we were just covering right now and uh i mean just so many cool things to talk about really with the nfl draft that happened this week uh so many nuggets that we'll get into as well uh, but i think a good place to start is just right off the top like what were your overall impressions of the nfl draft and really how they constructed and and executed everything digitally i loved it honestly i was really worried you know there were going to be a bunch of you know technical errors and there weren't going it, it just wasn't going to have a nice flow to it, but it, it kind of made everybody seem human. Like it made the NFL seem human. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, Saul. I really disliked Roger Goodell. just like a lot of other people, but after watching this event, I look at Roger Goodell and say, I, you know what? You're, you're not that bad of a person. Like he, he just sitting in his basement in, relaxing clothes for him to be just in this relaxed environment rather than being so buttoned up and and fancy like i thought it was really cool yeah yeah you know he had he definitely had the mr rogers vibe and he tried to he tried to play with the crowd as much as possible especially with the screen behind him and uh, they here? By, the, by, by the way creative uh you know creative uh you know uh kudos go to you by photoshopping a picture of your depressing charger self in with the rest of the chargers <laughs> fans on that i saw that on social media so uh, i thought that was pretty well done uh outside of that i mean there's a lot Alec of storylines <laughs> yeah alec white was the reason for that there you go alec white always uh trying to jump on and, and bag on somebody uh that's all right it's all good uh so you know outside of the the digital stuff and you know obviously i i thought the one hiccup if there was any was just the fact that you didn't get that raw emotion when you know players names were called because they were on you know delay and so oftentimes espn had to go back after showing the player initially uh, to really get that emotion and and, and cut away, and uh, I think if they if they could time that better in the future, I think they'll 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 have a lot of success and it'll come off without a hitch. But overall, I thought it was a, a very well done um, NFL draft considering the circumstances. Jerry Jones has already gone on record saying you know he would expect that something similar to this will be the case moving forward. And I mean, the sports world is changing, man. You know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change after this. And uh, some of them for the better and some of them we're just going to have to deal with. So you, you also have to think about 
the circumstances though, uh, because I saw a tweet earlier that that said uh, there the ratings were higher for the NFL draft than like game five of last year's NBA finals. It's like those numbers are really flawed because one, the NBA finals didn't have LeBron James. It was the Toronto Raptors going up against the injured Golden State Warriors. So there really wasn't much interest in that game. And then the NFL draft, it's literally the only live sporting event going on right now. So even people who like don't normally watch the draft, there's, they're watching rounds four through seven because it's literally all the only thing going on. I, I really enjoyed it, but you also have to consider the circumstances. Would it be would it have been as successful if there wasn't the coronavirus going on? I don't know. Yeah. Well, hey, let's jump into what people really want to hear about. Our top five takeaways on the top five moments of the NFL draft. And we're not talking about your favorite player getting so many. drafted. <laughs> We're not talking about Isaiah Simmons getting drafted by the Cardinals or anything. No, 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 no. We're talking about top five kind of off the screen kind of moments that we thought um, really tickled our fancy, at least. And uh, I hey, want to <laughs> start off with number one. Mike Vrabel had a very interesting <laughs> setup at his house. <laughs> and uh, I mean, folks, I don't know what the hell is going on in this photo. But uh, this dude over here on the right-hand side wearing the number 50 jersey, you got Frozone, and then it looks like you have somebody back there possibly going number two on, on, the, on the toilet. I'm not sure what is going on. When you first saw this, Justin, <laughs> what did you think? That's a man's house because you want to know why? <laughs> At a man's house, they poop with the door open. They go number two with door open. I don't know what's going on uh, in, in that, that corner there with that guy using the bathroom, but – yeah, I, I just it looks like a fraternity house. Yeah, it's crazy. It is very it lo- crazy. It lo- it, 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 of all the setups that I saw, this was by far the the strangest one. Also, the most intriguing one because I have so many questions. Like, what's what's Frozone doing? Why is he standing there like a security <laughs> guard? What's going on? And why is number fifty standing there like that? And he's got, I don't know what this. I I I hesitate to make fun of people sometimes because I don't know what the circumstance is and. You know, if they if they're uh, you know if they're a person that that doesn't have their faculties all together, I don't really, really want to bag on them. But I mean, bruh, with the haircut, come on now, <laughs> bringing the mullet back, yo. It, I mean, with is, a vengeance. Is that Mike Rabel's jersey, by the way? That number fifty jersey? Yeah, I believe so. Is I that like so. Pro Bowl jersey or something? Yeah. And then I don't okay. know what's what's the story with um, his daughter. It looks like sitting crisscross applesauce. Like, uh, you know, last time I saw a kid a kid do that was like back in like kindergarten <laughs> when we were lining <laughs> up to go to you know go to the cafeteria or something like that. So a lot of stuff to unpack there. Uh, and so I thought it was a pretty pretty interesting. Obviously, there's far more to get into. So uh, with our next one, obviously, you know, we just talked about him a little bit ago. You know, Roger Goodell. Uh, so many things uh, that people pay attention to when it comes to the the M and M's, the M and M's, and oh yes, and uh, as the draft wore on, the M M&M and M jar got thinner and thinner and thinner, and uh, you know I'm pretty sure Roger Goodell put put on a good what ten pounds over the weekend. Yeah, of M- of M and M's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ten pounds. You know, ten pounds. Like so. there was, you, you you no, you could see as the draft progressed, the M and M's like slowly start to go down. Like round one, he had a full jar, and then by the time day three came, like there were probably about a dozen 
M&Ms left. And Roger could have actually addressed it and said, yes, all I've been eating are M&Ms. So, but hey. <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty fun. Uh, you know, how it's it like all of us in quarantine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I gotta get back to the gym for sure, or at least run or do something, do a mm-hmm. yoga workout or do a sit up or a push up, something solved. Jesus. One so, sit up, uh, one M&M. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Just feed me every time I come back up, man. Uh, and then uh, obviously when we when we look at some of the things that family related came about uh, were very interesting. This being to me my favorite because uh, <laughs> I mean, the picture says it all, man. I don't know what is going on right now, but mama ain't having it. She no, gets yanked out with a quickness. Isaiah Wilson just gets picked by the Ravens, and mom quickly throws uh, the girlfriend or whoever that was out of the uh, the frame. I thought that, that was hilarious. So well, look at well, look at the way the camera angle is set up. Yeah. As soon as Isaiah Wilson gets picked, it's zoomed in right on him, and his girlfriend's sitting right there. She automatically hugs him and is is holding him and cherishing yeah. him, and that's just stealing away his his shine you know yeah, that's for sure i've seen other girl i've seen other girlfriends during the draft give their significant other who just had their life changed a peck on the kiss the congratulations stepped aside and let him have his moment that's what good girlfriends do this one isaiah wilson's girlfriend just was like okay i'm gonna get in the whole camera Man. and i'm just gonna hug you make it look like a good girlfriend and mom <laughs> saw that and said no <laughs> no, because you know what? There's a good possibility you're not going to be in the picture by next year. So get out. Hey, get out. Justin's just saying the things that we all want to say that we all pretty yeah. much know are true, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, come on, man. You know, I mean, look at Russell Wilson. That's like the the epitome of a draft day. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> the horse face. And I mean, she didn't last more than what a couple months, and then that was it. And then she he was on <laughs> yeah. to like Sierra or somebody like that. So. I mean, strong, hey, independent woman, you know, hey, money changes a lot of things. And sometimes it's the significant other, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the circumstance. But I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, you know, and then we move on to I think the the biggest power move of the weekend. I mean, Jerry Jones showed his yacht. Sure, that's cool. But I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, come on now. This I mean, this is how you do it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the pad. I mean, there's so much to unfold here, too. Look at the backyard with the fire pit and the hanging beds and the pool that you can kind of see in the back. I mean, pretty dope. Look at that pad, man. That's what being a millionaire in Arizona does. Like, if if Cliff Kingsbury is coaching California, how does pad look? Probably not like that. Okay. Probably not like that. That's a the luxury of living in Scottsdale, Arizona of all places. But the fact that like you get this wide view, one leg on the table, like Cliff Kingsbury knew what he was doing when somebody took that picture. Hey, I just want to, I just want to let you know, first of all, that this house is about 4.5. Like I, 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 I got it on a very good source that this is not a cheap uh, buy by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, the, the builder of this home actually tweeted it out from their company, Twitter. Uh, oh, really? I forgot what the name of the company was, but I saw it earlier today. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's not a cheap house. So 4.5 can get you quite a bit in California too. Uh, this is a, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful house, mountain, mountain ranges in the back, you know, it, it's just, it's just picture perfect Kingsbury. He's got a wine, by the way, there's, there's a, a wine like room 
in there as well. And I mean, if you saw all the pictures, uh, you can look it up on Zillow actually, uh, but you're gonna have to do your homework because I'm not gonna throw a man's address out there like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to have a house like Cliff Kingsbury, what's the one thing you absolutely have to have? Ooh, ooh, that's like a in good a room question. in house. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, one of the things that I've always wanted, besides the wine room, because I've been into wines lately, um, I would love uh, like a premium indoor sauna. Ooh, yes. Yeah, premium. How uh, about you? Sauna or steam room? Yeah, uh, sauna. Sauna. Yeah. Okay. Sauna. It, one, of those, one of those infrared saunas. Okay. I like yeah. that. The steam room, you know, the, the problem with the steam room is, is like, you know, there's so much water, you know, and it's like, eh, you know, I don't want to clean all that up. You know, I, I, I'll just stick with the sauna. Okay. It's it's a dry but, heat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How about We're you? We're used to saying that out here in Arizona. Um, <laughs> I would probably say a cigar room slash pool table room. You got to have a man cave. If you're going to have, you know, Cliff Kingsbury money, you'd be living in Scottsdale, having a house like that. I would love to have a place where I can just go kick it, watch games, maybe invite over a few friends and have a cigar room. Um, I thought it would be cool to have like this giant walk-in humidor of some of the greatest cigars that that money can buy. Okay, nice, nice. That's what I would have in my house. So, and obviously the, the winner of the weekend, the, the most viral moment of the weekend, uh, and uh, whether you want to say it was, uh, you know, <laughs> fortunate or not fortunate, <laughs> it doesn't matter. This, by far, stole the show this weekend. Obviously, it was C.D. Lamb, and uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, st- the, the tape speaks for itself. It's... Uh, <laughs> Bruh, like, okay, so so this girl's name, his girlfriend, is, uh, her name is Crimson Rose, okay? And as you see in the video, uh, she snatches his phone, and then he snatches it back. So many things to unfold here. First of all, where do you stand on the whole phone security thing, especially if you're with, uh, if you have a girlfriend or fiance or wife? Well, she thought she was slick because... She saw a opportunity. She realized, okay, my significant other is caught in a life changing moment. Like he's about to be a millionaire. The the biggest moment, everything he's been working towards is now finally coming true. So, you know, he's talking on his business phone. Look at the personal phone just sitting there. Hmm. <laughs> you know, you know how many people are going to reach out to him after he was announced that. Not only is he going to the NFL, but he's going to the Dallas Cowboys, probably the most recognized football brand in the entire world. So a lot of people are going to be, you know, hitting him up, asked, you know, congratulating him. Absolutely. And then there comes the leeches and the ones yeah. that, you know, you're worried about. And then all the little insecurities happen. Like, man, am, was I really, you know, just, you know, someone that was just going to get him to the draft process and maybe he's going to find somebody better because now that he's rich. So she maybe she saw a great opportunity and reached for the phone and then CeeDee Lamb says, wait, 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 what? what? Yeah, those, are, those are great instincts and that's what makes CeeDee Lamb a first-round prospect. That's something that Mel Kuyper <laughs> should have had in his draft preview. Hey, you can't teach that kind of talent right there. <laughs> That's first round. And that's yeah, why Jerry Jones hit a home run of the draft. The intangibles are off the charts. Uh, also, by the way, a little side nugget for those of you who didn't know, 
But uh, it was definitely, you know, Twitter is undefeated when it comes to investigations, right? Well, they figured out that this woman is the former girlfriend of one Trey Young out in Atlanta. And Trey tweeted out on draft night when he saw this. <laughs> Which is setting himself up. <laughs> like, bruh. Oh, man, you shouldn't have said that. So now um, this girl, Crimson Rose, is now very, very... Uh, she's very Twitter famous, very social media famous. And, uh, you know, to me, hey, you don't mess with another person's phone, period. Like, yes. you know, I, I have a fiance. If something were to happen and the phone rings, like, go ahead, pick it up. I don't care. I, I have nothing to hide. I'm not trying to hide yeah. anything. But, you know, I think everybody deserves a little bit of privacy on their own material. And, you know, that's kind of how I go. Now, I now I will I will say fully fledged that I was the victim of some stupid, stupid things earlier in my life. But as a mature man, I know, hey, I got my business clean. I'm not stupid or anything I'm not supposed to be doing. And uh, the fact that uh, if I was in a relationship and all of a sudden she was just looking through my phone, oh man, we got a whole other set of issues to go through for sure. <laughs> but uh, if you go back and look at that video, look at C.D. Lamb's mom. Just looking at it the entire time, watching the whole process. And then as soon as he yanks the phone out of her hands, City Lamb's mom just kind of gives her the side eye like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm watching you. I got, yeah. I, I've got my eyes on you. I mean, it, that's a tough position to be in, especially if you're the girlfriend. Like, I know you're happy and you're excited for the man you're with. And you've been, you know, you've probably seen him go through a lot of things that you, I, I, Although Crimson Rose, I, I don't know how long she's been with C.D. Lamb. Obviously, she was with Trey Young before, so I can't imagine like she's been through the grind of his career. But um, but nonetheless, you know, like mama was, you know, what I mean, and so I think I would be protective if m one of my sons or my daughter was in a position like this. I'd be like, hey, you know, you need to step out of the frame. Like, yeah, because you might not be around very, very much longer. But now, while that was a questionable move on her part. I do applaud her and appreciate her for not really making such a big deal about it. When he took the phone back, she just kind of like, okay. And just, you know, moved her head to the side and, and just played it off where yeah. she could have easily made a big deal about it on national TV and just completely ruin his draft moment. So I appreciate her for doing that. For sure. Who you got as an honorable mention for, uh, uh, you know, the top five that didn't make it, you know, a, a draft moment out there that you thought was like, Oh, that was pretty cool. So there was an offensive lineman. Uh, he was drafted out of St. John's and in Minnesota. And he goes by the name of Ben Barch. Uh, you know, th this is a, a Division three school in Minnesota, like I just mentioned, St. John's. And when he first came in to college, he was originally a tight end, and he weighed about 250 pounds. Well, they realized, okay, well, this is a big dude. We, we need to put some weight on him. Yeah. So what did Ben Barch do? In order to gain weight and become a great offensive lineman, every single day, Ben Barch drank a protein shake that consisted of seven eggs, cottage cheese, oh. grits, peanut butter, banana, and to top it all off, put some Gatorade in there. Oh, man. Imagine all of those. Seven eggs, cottage cheese, grits, peanut butter, banana, Gatorade, all into a blender. Nah, Blend man, all good. up, drinking it. I mean, that's that's a gains meal right there. And it's disgusting, but obviously it worked for Ben Barch. That was my favorite moment. I don't know about you. Oh man. You know, I, I think, uh, 
you know, if if I was to say a, a favorite moment, I think I think the five that we covered were pretty much the top. But Belichick feeding his dog, I thought that was pretty cute. That was a pretty good moment right there. Uh, and yeah. uh, you know, and then also um, uh, Jerry Jones's yacht. I mean, that was that's an easy one, right? Uh, you can't you can't hate on that. So uh, Jerry Jones, uh, you know, two hundred fifty million dollar yacht sitting there. God knows where he was at in the middle of the ocean, probably um, staying free and clear of all the troubles of the world uh, and, uh, you know, doing his draft there. So um, life is good if you're Jerry Jones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, and the one thing I didn't like about the draft and Saul, I know you stand behind this 100%. It seems like every draft pick had just the worst story attached to their name. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I will like say this: a family member passing away, like T. Higgins from Clemson, said his mother was uh, battled drug addiction for sixteen. Well, years. ESPN put that out there. Where ESPN put that out there? Yeah, ESPN put that out there as a graphic. Yeah, um, which you know, honestly, you know, I thought that was very, very bad taste. Like, obviously, a lot of these guys have some instances of of of, of overcoming obstacles in their life, and some of these, you know, are make the man who they are. You know, and I have no doubt that T. Higgins uh, had to deal with his mom's, you know, drug addiction um, in a way. But we're talking about a young man who's trying, who's who's experiencing the best day of his life. Right. And to bring him down, in my opinion, to bring him down um, with with somebody else's issues and what he had to deal with somebody else's issues, I thought was inconsequential. Like it, it did not matter. It should not yeah. have been brought up. And ESPN actually put out a statement today apologizing for that, saying that that was a, a big time error and that they should never, never have done that, yeah. uh, which I appreciate. But uh, again, you know, we're, we're, you have to also look at the, the the dynamic of the NFL draft. These are a lot of them are young African-American men. Um, and, you know, when you're constantly putting, you know, so-and-so drug addiction, so-and-so drug addiction, so-and-so overcame single f- parent household, his mom only raised like you're, you're like feeding into a stereotype um, that I think is is unfortunate and it just it is is not right. And so, yeah. in my opinion, uh, ESPN really uh, kind of crapped the bed when it came to to some of those stories because they were irrelevant to who that person was um, and and where they had come from uh, on this day. You can talk about their story later on down the road. You can put it in better context. But in this moment, there was no way to put proper context and and actually explain why his mom's drug addiction made him the man who he is. So just leave it off the screen. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, there were also other good stories. I agree with adding human interest to the NFL draft because you want sure, to get to know these sure. guys. You don't Absolutely. want them to just be a number going to this NFL team and you have no idea about them. Like I, like we talked about in the last podcast, Austin Jackson's story from USC donating bone marrow to his sister. Sure. I mean, that's that's a great story. That's things that we want sure. to hear. But it's like literally every other draft pick. His grandfather died in 2006. His mother died. And it was like, Okay, this yeah. is it, this is this is getting way too yeah. much. So. Sometimes you know what? Let, let's just you know let let's pepper it in every now and then. Let's not yeah. beat everybody over the head because they you know for for instance for like me, if I was a draft pick coming out when I was twenty years old, they would probably be like his mom and dad are deaf and and he had to you know raise his sisters and blah blah blah. Like oh, I don't give a damn. Like <laughs> just tell them my four four uh, my forty speed <laughs> and let's wrap it up, man. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> wrap it up b Yo, man, I'm, I'm not trying to hear how my sister played the saxophone when i was like studying in the next room and and then i would help her study by you know help her read her music notes like i don't give a damn about that let's just go 
<laughs> Justin, who do you think had the best overall draft? I hate to say it, but America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, I really, okay. I honestly, I really think, you know, they had the best draft, you know, starting with CD lamb, Jerry Judy or CD lamb. It's, it's one or one a, like these guys are the two best receivers in the draft class, in my opinion. And the fact that one of the best offenses in the NFL got that as another weapon. I mean, that's pretty solid. And also, um, uh, getting the cornerback out of Alabama, uh, Trevon Diggs, yeah. I thought was awesome. And then a, a, a steal for them getting an addition to that defensive line, Bradley and I, uh, us being in Pac-12 country, we have the luxury of staying up late, uh, you know, close to like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, watching sure football do. games. Sure do. And uh, shout out Larry Scott. And um, <laughs> so we see these guys on a weekly basis. Bradley and I was one of Utah's best defenders last year. The fact that the the Cowboys were able to get that guy in the fifth round, I thought was a steal. Um, and I, yeah, I got to go with the Cowboys as the best uh, team in the draft. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I, I could go the Homer route, which I might. Uh, I actually thought Miami did a fantastic job. They got a quarterback. Um, the second, poor Josh Rosen, poor Josh Rosen. He's going to go one, to New England. One one year he gets drafted by the Cardinals, and then then they just don't feel they're they're not feeling the Rosen love, right? So they got Kyler Murray on the board. They take Kyler Murray. Rosen gets shipped off to Miami. Miami uh, Miami gives him a shot. Doesn't doesn't perform the way he needs to, and then they're like, you know what? We're going to draft Tua Tonga Vailoa. Like, hey, by the way, Roger Goodell, see how I pronounce that? That's how you say to, to a tongue of Iowa. Um, uh, you know, like, he, had all this, he had all this time to practice and he screwed it all up. I don't even understand that. But uh, regardless, uh, I thought they did a great job and not only getting him, but also beefing up their offensive defensive lines. Um, the Arizona Cardinals, I thought, did a fantastic job as well. I know they yes, got they it rated as a B, but I mean, they had some holes to fill defensively, offensively. Uh, they they really bolstered that defensive line by drafting two defensive tackles, um, one of them out of LSU, the other one, um, ooh, I, I'm forgetting his name. Anyway, and then Isaiah oh, Simmons. Like yes, uh, from yeah, Utah. from Utah. Yeah, and so then, uh, and then they they obviously um, they got Isaiah Simmons, who I think is just he is. If there's any ever a team out there that is is in love with the hybrid linebacker safety type, it is the Arizona Cardinals. Adrian Wilson was that type, um, and then uh, Dayon Buchanan was that type. Uh, they know how to draft guys that can maneuver and play in different positions. And I know that a lot of critics were talking about how they did not exploit or they didn't go after an offensive tackle earlier. But they got Josh Jackson later on, who was a potential first-round pick out of Houston, uh, a big guy that can play right tackle. Uh, and so I thought they did a fantastic job overall uh, of, of adding. And then they finished off the whole draft, and I know a lot of people locally were just like glamoring over this because it's Eno Benjamin from ASU. But I, I do like Eno Benjamin. I thought um, he kind of took a step back this year at ASU. But I do like the overall uh, skill set that he has. He's a hard runner. He's he's quick. He's fast, um, and he's tough. And so I, I think all those combined, um, I thought the Cardinals probably had the best draft in my opinion um, out of anybody. Baltimore pretty close too. They had they had solid work because Baltimore drafts guys that are Baltimore guys. You know they Dogs. fill up the defensive line, you know, defensive and offensive lines, and they pound you with the linebackers. That's what they do. Like and and every single draft pick that they had really fit that um, that mold. Isaiah Jackson being one of those that we just showed. Yeah. 
So uh, we're waiting for Freddie Coleman to show up here any minute now so we can talk about this last dance. But, uh, you know, as we kind of uh, as we kind of go through this, um, man, what an episode three and four it was tonight. I I didn't know what to expect. And in order to get ready for tonight's episode three and four, um, rather than watching episodes one and two, I decided to watch the Dennis Rodman documentary just to get, you know, a lot of background information on him just to, you know, run my memory through and, and just see where he came from. And then that got me ready uh, for episode three, but man, Dennis Rodman, an NBA player, unlike any other in history. Yeah. And it, and it, his background is just so insane. The fact that he was homeless for a couple of years, his mom kicked him out of his house when he was 18 years old and he was working at like the Dallas Fort Worth airport as like a janitor. And then all of a sudden he grows like 11 inches goes to, goes to college in the middle of the boonies in Oklahoma and Southeast Oklahoma state and just becomes this star. And then people, and then the bulls draft him or excuse me, the Pistons draft him at number 27. People are like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. And he was quiet. Didn't really, you know, talk much was an introvert. And then all of a sudden, years later, he's wearing a wedding dress. Was it in New York or Chicago? Uh, it was in New York. Yeah. Wearing a wedding dress in New York with, with a blonde wig, with the with the cheetah hair. Like it, Dennis Rodman, like I said, is someone that we've never seen uh, in the NBA for in, in the NBA. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I also enjoyed seeing Dennis Rodman. And like, you know, a little bit of his personal life. Good for him. We're talking about the 90s here. And he's dating Madonna and Carmen Electra. I mean, in the 90s, that was a pretty big deal. Yo, and Dennis Carmen, Rodman was that. When he was dating Carmen Electra, Carmen Electra was at like the peak of her popularity. She yeah. was like a stunner. She was all over like MTV. She was all over. I, I want to say Baywatch too. I could yeah. be wrong with that. She was in scream. Um, and so like there were, there was, it was some big time stuff going on with, with Dennis Robin. So, I mean, Hey, Dennis Robin had some game there <laughs> being able to pull down essentially one of the biggest pop female icons of all time, uh, in Madonna. And, uh, and then, you know, you move on to, um, you know, uh, Carmen Electra and Carmen Electra. I, I don't know how old she is, but she still looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and they talk to her currently. Yeah. She looks, she looks great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Hey, I, I just thought the, the, the Dennis Rob, I love how they, they talked about Dennis Robin. They build that whole dynamic and then you get into the Pistons and I hope people realize just how physical it really was um, back then in those days. And as we speak, um, we do finally have Freddie Coleman from ESPN joining us. Freddie, how you doing today? I'm good, Saul and Justin. How you guys doing? Fantastic. You know, first impressions of the documentary episodes three and four. Uh, the first thing that comes to your mind as soon as it ended, what was it? Dennis Rodman's a wild boy, man. I mean, we all <laughs> knew that from the beginning. Anyway, we all had our suspicions, but they were really confirmed because the Chicago Bulls, especially Phil Jackson. They clearly understood that if he wanted to have a vacation, if he wanted to get his yayas out and go to Las Vegas, you could not stand in his way because that would not have wrecked the team, but that would not have been a good situation. So I don't know the funniest part was the fact that they let him go do that, but the fact that Carmel Electra had to hide from Michael Jordan because you know she was in a state of undress. 
So she did not want to have a first time meeting Michael Jordan, be completely in the buff in that situation in Las Vegas. Absolutely. You know, we were just talking about that. Carbon Electra. I mean, Dennis Robin, come on now. He he had to have a little bit of game to pull down Madonna and Carmen Electra and Carmen Electra at the height of her popularity in the mid 90s. Like it doesn't get any better than that. And I think people forget about that, that charisma that Dennis Robin had to have had, um, you know, off off camera. Well, when you're a big personality, you're going to attract people. You're a magnet. You're a magnetic force from that standpoint. But I'll say this about Carmen Electra. Boy, has she held up well because most people, we're talking about this is over 21 years ago in 97, 98 when you guys are right. She was at the height of her powers. And then you look at it now in the year 2020, I'm thinking, you know what? You can walk in a lot of places. You're going to turn some heads. You're going to stop some traffic if you're Carmen Electra. And the fact that she was so transparent because – if she wasn't going to be transparent, Dennis Rodman was. And then we see behind the scenes where they're toasting each other and throwing down kamikazes and everything like that. I knew this was going to open up a lot of things. I don't think anybody could have anticipated that we would get really a behind the scenes of Dennis Rodman going hard in his 96 plus hours away from the Chicago Bulls. Freddie, you know, I love Dennis Rodman's history, you know, being homeless for a couple of years of being an introvert and going through a small school and really being a diamond in the rough prospect. He was always a shy, quiet guy. When did you realize he was going to be a rock star in the NBA? I don't think anybody anticipated that when he first got to the NBA. And to your point, my wife, Denise, and I were discussing this watching the documentary tonight. And how much pain has he been able to try to hide or try to get past after what he had gone through in his childhood? And I'll never forget the story that he told when he got inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame that his dad had 36 children. So there are plenty of brothers and sisters out there that he doesn't have any idea that he's related to. And he relayed that story to everybody when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. So, Justin, you're right. In terms of him being a superstar, we knew that he had that personality. But then he went whole hog with it, where he went beyond the NBA. But I also thought that the essence of Dennis Rodman was when he gave his shoes to a kid who loved him and had one of his out autograph and he gave him a little bit more than that. And then he signed for so many different people. He was completely, completely right by saying people see one aspect of me and they think that's the real me. They don't have any idea what they're talking about. I can't even imagine we're ever going to find out the real Dennis Rodman. And it's probably better that we don't find out exactly how real he can actually be. For sure. So many great one-liners tonight in tonight's episodes of my favorite being the one <laughs> Ron Harper? No, Ron Harper was, that was, good. was great, but it got topped at the end by Michael Jordan. He was like, when he was talking about Isaiah. Yep. <laughs> I just, I loved it. You know what? I, I think I know. I know Michael was afraid of how he was going to be perceived. You know, with all the the cussing and stuff like that. I don't know about you guys, but I've enjoyed it. I it gives me a better insight as to who he was and really the mindset he had the entire time he he was with the Bulls and even now. You look at Michael Jordan, he had final say over what was going to be shown to us over a 10-part documentary, and apparently he's not putting anything and hiding anything. He's taking us to so many different places in the first four parts of the documentary. And I'm with you, Saul. The best part was not so much his one-liner, but the look on his face when they replayed and showed him the video of Isaiah Thomas saying, we had known then. He was like, yeah, whatever. He's like saying, you know what? I didn't believe that 29 years ago. I'm not going to believe it 29 years later. You can say whatever you want, but you guys are completely, completely classless. We decided not to shake our hands. And then Jordan brought the truth of the matter by saying, we shook their hands the two years before in a row 
that we had lost to them. So Jordan wasn't trying to hear about that's how things were done. Then he was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We didn't do that. So why would you do it? So it was clearly the case of Michael Jordan not leaving anything to chance, number one. Number two, letting everybody know this was what was going on with the robbery of the Pistons, on the plane, hanging out, playing cards. How about that exchange that Dennis Robin had with Craig Sager? Craig Sager gives him 20 bucks to pay his fine. And Dennis Robin said he's trying to get an interview. I, I, I know that. I'm not trying to buy that from that standpoint. There have been so many things that we can really sink our teeth into and wrap our minds around. And we still got six more parts to go. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys can see, but I still have goosebumps from Mike Wilbon cussing. I've never heard Wilbon cuss before. <laughs> and we finally saw it. I thought that was so great. Remember, Michael Wilbon's Chicago, Chicago broad now, so they can yeah. get down a little bit with the salty language. They may be church-going people on Sunday, but they'll get to the inner sale of Monday through Saturday if you give them a chance. <laughs> hey, you know, Freddie, I think one of the things that – I think all us old-school guys, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 40, so I grew up in the Jordan era, uh, late 80s. That's when I fell in love with basketball. All we were hoping to see – and hoping that the younger generation will see is how physical and how tough it was to get through the Detroit Pistons and other teams at that time. It wasn't just, you know, I'm going to slap you on the wrist to push you down. It was, yeah, our goal is to hurt you. You come into the paint, like they said, the Jordan rules, you step one foot in the paint, you should be on the ground. Uh, how how did Do you think they captured it? Do you think they captured the entire feel of how physical it was back then? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And think about this, guys. This really got started in 1984 NBA Finals when the Boston Celtics played the Los Angeles Lakers and Kurt Rambis got taken down in that series. And then that kind of set the stage for no easy layups to make sure that they earned their way to the basket. And I remember watching those series involving the Chicago Bulls and Detroit Pistons. And I always had a great affinity for the Pistons. They knew exactly who they were. They didn't mind being the kind of guys that were going to a town, you know, shoot the sheriff, get the saloon girl, head to the next town. They really embraced that philosophy because they knew that was the best way to win. And the New York Knicks did the same thing afterwards, where they get an Anthony Mason and join him with Charles Oakley. And for one year, they had Xavier McDaniel. They were not letting any easy looks for anybody, especially had a chance to get a layup. So I think they've really been able to capture that. And I think the best part about it was seeing the response from the Chicago Bulls. And John Sally said it best. When they knocked down Scottie Pippen in game four, when the Bulls swept them in 1991, Scottie Pippen, uh, Scottie Pippen gets up and didn't say anything, didn't bark back at them. And John Stiley said, when we saw that, we knew we were done because we could not get in his head. And that was a guy that we felt was a weak link mentally for the Chicago Bulls. If we couldn't do that to him, he said right then and there, he knew that was over. And I thought that captured the essence of you got to battle through those situations. And the Bulls were able to do that and start that run of winning six championships in eight years. Question for both of you guys. Where do you stand on Bill Lambeer? Because I always thought, you know, he's a physical guy, kind of like Danny Ferry at Duke. And then when, you know, they're about to lose the Bulls, he's over there telling the guys on the bench, we're not shaking their hands. We're not like he was the guy that incited not shaking hands with with the Bulls, which I thought was pretty cowardly. Put it this way. I was not surprised by that at all, because I've been very fortunate to talk to Bill Lambeer on a couple of occasions at ESPN Radio. He embraces that. He says, I've always loved being that jerk. And I said, and I asked him one time, I said, when did that start? He said, oh, when I was about four years of age growing up. And I think it started that early. When it comes to Bill Lane Beer, he has never minded that because he never had to question what the philosophy was with the Detroit Pistons. They all were lockstep in being that kind of jerk, being that kind of you-know-what, especially when they lived the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan is a bunch of pretty boys and saying, man, we're going to dirty this game up. 
because Isaiah Thomas said it best. He said, yeah, we knew the NBA was about having that line with Magic, Larry, and then the Michael, and we wanted to crash the party. So they didn't mind doing that. And Bill Lane Beer was the perfect embodiment of that because how many times you have a guy, I've counted at least seven different games where someone has literally punched him in the face during a game. Larry Bird got him a couple of times. Robert Parrish did it. Charles Oakley did it. Xavier McDaniel did it. But he relished stuff like that because I think he honestly believed that if he was able to do something like that and get under your skin, then your focus was not going to be on what it was supposed to be with your basketball team. And then they honestly believe they could get at you, not just physically, but also get into your heads. You know, the great thing I think about Lane Beer is also how it kind of paid itself forward, right, with Dennis Robin on that team. You know, Dennis yeah. Robin very much embraced those same Lane Beer t- characteristics as we got to 96, 97, 98. He was the pest. He was the one that was instigating, especially with Carl Malone, as you remember. Uh, you know, and so I, I, I just think that was the fascinating part of this whole this whole part, uh, this whole series and how they put it all together, the Detroit Pistons. I mean, that was that was just fun, fun, a fun watch tonight. I thought this was these two episodes were far better than I think the first two. The first two, you kind of you kind of know what to expect. Uh, right. But this one with with Robin, I don't think any of us really know how how deep it really went. Um, and and they just scratched the surface. So, yeah. And I, and I knew part three and part four were going to be good. And I, I had conditioned myself to say, OK, this is going to be a letdown because I didn't think it was going to be as good as part one and part two. And you're right. It was even better. Like some of the things we found out about Dennis Rodman and then Isaiah Thomas explaining the story about the Boston Celtics did the same thing to us that we decided to do to the Chicago Bulls because that's the way things were done then, saying that I pulled Kevin McHale back because those guys were leaving after we finally were able to take them down. Also, they had a chance to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 80s and 90s as that lost basketball team, that they were a team that they were born at the wrong time. I compare them to the Portland Trailblazers in the Western Conference. Can you imagine Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or the Detroit Pistons were not around? We could have had the Detroit Pistons on – not Detroit Pistons. We could have had on one side the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Portland Trailblazers on the other side that had terrific players. But sometimes, as Pat Riley said before, you can be born at the wrong time. And I look at Brad Darty and Mark Price and Larry Nance and – Poor Craig Elo. That that's going to be on his tombstone. <laughs> Here lies Craig Elo, underrated player, but yet Michael Jordan hit the shot over him that started Michael Jordan's big game ability, and he played great defense on that play. Sometimes the guy's just better than you. So Ron, I always look at yeah. Ron Harper would would disagree to this day, obviously, as we saw. <laughs> Ron Harper He's can like, say whatever he wants. You can't play better defense than Craig Elo did, and if anybody should know that is Ron Harper because he played basketball with Michael Jordan and against him for a long time. He had to – you got to give Craig Elo credit, but you got to give Michael Jordan credit. And that's been one of the best things about the first four parts of this is that so many guys are starting to get their due for how terrific they were, how great they were, and how, how they able to provide a balance no matter what team that they were playing on, either for the Chicago Bulls or against them. Freddie, real quick, you know, I, I, we kind of, uh, kind of buried the lead here, but how are you doing? How are you adjusting to life, uh, you know, uh, in the studio, out the studio? What, what's, what's your day-to-day operations like now? Well, I tell people all the time, one of my favorite sayings is you do the best you can with what you got. And that's exactly where we're all in right now, no matter what profession that we work in, no matter what we're trying to do. But my family is, is more than relatively safe. My wife and I, she has not threatened to throw me out of the house yet. So I have not gotten <laughs> on her nerves, which, which has been a good thing. I'm also very blessed to work for a company where they can provide the resources for you, where you can do a show from home and you can still do a national show. So we're doing everything possibly that everything possibly that we can to stay healthy. When we go out, we make sure we keep our distance from everybody when we decide to do that. So 
we're maintaining, like I said, doing the best we can in the situation that all of us are, are, are having to be a part of right now. And the beauty and the beautiful thing about doing radio from home is you get to be in T-shirt and shorts all the time, which I think is awesome. Absolutely. You get to work in comfortable clothes. That's an awesome luxury yeah. to have. Yeah, I don't have to worry about putting on my jeans and my shoes and going out and getting into my vehicle. Even though my commute from my house to ESPN Radio on the main campus is about 12 minutes. So I've gone from a 12-minute commute to a 12-step program, where it's only 12 steps to go from downstairs <laughs> to upstairs, where I can do the show in my home office. But I know these are trying times, but I tell people all the time, yeah, it's easy to say we're going to get through it because I firmly believe we're all going to get through it one way or another. But I also wonder what kind of scars are going to be left on us as human beings because there's no way that whenever things start to get to where they used to be, it's not going to be the same. And more than ever before, when this whole thing kind of slides away, we're going to have to continue to make those kind of adjustments where we're going to have to live a different way. Not so much a more, not so much a healthier way, gentlemen, but a different way than what we're used to. And I wonder how much of that could not only affect sports, for example, but just people's everyday lives. Absolutely. Uh, you can catch Freddie Coleman on ESPN radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Pretty much it feels like every night, every night I get into the car, I hear Freddie and Fitzsimmons all the time. And <laughs> you guys always do such a great job. You keep me Thanks. entertained and, and laughing. I know Justin's a big fan as well. Uh, we're just a huge, huge, huge supporters of your, 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 uh, your, broadcast and you know a we appreciate you jumping on and helping us kind of uh, get this thing off the ground it's a new sure. adventure for us and it's been fun yeah it's been a lot of fun hanging out with you guys because i was telling my wife i was looking so forward to having where we have zoom and stream yard where you guys are streaming this broadcast where people get a chance to be a part of your podcast on facebook and also on twitter so i tell people all the time anytime you can get your thought pat your thought process out there you should be able to do it because more than ever before there's so many different avenues, not only to receive information, but also to get your thoughts out there, to get your personalities out there. So it's always cool to help something like this get off the ground and have this as a trampoline point for what I think is going to be bigger and better things to come for you guys. And that's My why man. he's a legend, Freddie Coleman right there. Freddie, we appreciate your time, man. Anytime, Saul. Anytime, Justin, man. You guys take care and be well. Right, Thanks, Freddie. Safe. Absolutely. Hi, right, Freddie Coleman right there from ESPN joining us on the live stream. Hey, that was pretty dope. I didn't want to be weird, Saul, but I have uh, an Amazon Echo here, and I always have ESPN Radio on. I almost wanted to say, hey, Freddie, just so you know, every single night your voice is around my house. <laughs> but I felt like that definitely would have been weird, so I was like, I'm, I'm going to save it when he gets off. I also didn't want to say he probably has one of the most uh, recognizable voices in the industry, and also, I mean, if you had to rank like the sexiest voices in, in radio broadcasting, he's got to be up there, right? Oh, absolutely. He's just got this deep, very, it's very Barry Whitish, you know, like just say, hey, baby. <laughs> like I would, I would, I would pay 20 bucks. <laughs> I don't know where for, you're going to go with this. <laughs> for Freddie Coleman to do my voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm glad you said that and you didn't say something else crazy. Okay. Um, but yeah, man, you know, I, I think again, you know, the, the Jordan documentary was fantastic. Um, and before we wrap the show up, we got to mention we are on YouTube now. Uh, some of you are watching us on YouTube, which I, we very much appreciate. Facebook last week was uh, a big success. Thank you so much to everybody who was uh, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we, we, we will take this audio if, in case you missed it, or if you're catching the end of the stream, we'll post it tomorrow on all, uh, on all podcast platforms, but it's just been, it's just been fun over almost 300 people have, have liked our, our total BS podcast p page, which I think is pretty, pretty good. Pretty good for a couple for of now. weeks. 
for a couple of weeks. I, yeah. I think that that's not bad. We're now like eight days into this. So yeah. uh, fantastic as we look to continue but, to churn and, and move forward. But I will yeah. say this, you know, you can watch us every night or every Sunday night. And I do encourage it because you get to see our personalities. You get to see all the, the cool videos like that we just did with the, with the NFL draft. But you know, if you want to listen back to this podcast, we're on Spotify and we're now on Apple podcasts. All Yep. This week we finally iTunes, got baby. on on iTunes, so iTunes, we are everywhere, my man. And of course, uh, you know we do have our day job at the Arizona Daily Star. Saul doing his thing at the at Fox Sports Arizona, so we're always pumping out content. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter. For sure, for sure. At Saul underscore Bookman and at Justin Esports, um, or follow the podcast as well on Twitter at the Total Pod, uh, Total BS Pod is what it's called. Um, like I said, we're we're trying to branch out. We're trying to do new things and, and give you information. And if there's a suggestion or there's something that you like us to talk about one time, hey, just drop it in the Facebook page and, and we'll take a look. And uh, we definitely take all suggestions. Um, we have no questions tonight, so pretty easy easy night. Brett Farah, if anybody didn't know, he's uh, one of our men tours from back in the day uh he wrote uh, a pretty nice uh post about um the rodman um part and 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 jordan coming off not as much a jerk as as people think maybe thought he was going to come off as but um i've been very impressed by michael jordan in this whole documentary only four parts in we still have six more to go <laughs> and we still have to discuss the time he punched steve kerr in the face in practice I- so. I am so looking forward to that episode. <laughs> I can't wait. I want to know what happened, like in detail. Like, how did Steve Kerr get under the skin of Michael Jordan? Like, what happened here? But you can kind of see that kind of boiling to a point a little bit, not with Steve Kerr specifically, but his frustration in that final season um, and why things were kind of going a little haywire. But again, the mark of a great team is they they learn how to get through adversity, even if it's self-imposed. Um, the great teams have always had that kind of issue. And especially when they have been so successful for such a long um, period of time. And, um, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls, uh, I think we're, we're really learning how amazing that team really was and how amazing that run was. Six more parts to go. Three more weeks, my friend. Absolutely. So, like we said, we appreciate you all for joining us again on another uh, podcast live stream here at Total BS. Uh, we'll be here again next week. Uh, and so, jeez, I I, I I don't think I have anything else left to say, Justin. Um, we're done for the we're done for the night. <laughs> That's it. That's all we we'll, wrote. Hey, Time we'll to wrap see it you, up. We'll see you when you see you. Peace. <laughs>